This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Today, we're going to go back and we're going to grab that submarine that you used to use in the bathtub when you were playing around. We're going to submerge it and see if it still floats. This week on Is That Movie Still Good? We've got Cold War tensions and underwater antics as we revisit 1990's The Hunt for Red October. So, get the periscope depth. Here we go. Hunt for Red October on Is That Movie Still Good? Welcome back, friends. Uh, We are back, and we've had a great holiday. We're back and ready to get after it with some movies. And uh, we're going to just jump right back into it with Hunt for Red October. We hope everybody's had a great holiday season. Shout out to our new friends in Honduras. Um, Thanks for listening. And uh, here we go. Nate, Hunt for Red October. What do you remember about this one? Well, it's funny. From a movie perspective, it's actually hard to remember it because there were, you know, you had this, you had Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, a lot of spy movies going on at the time. And they all kind of blend together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But here's actually what I really remember about this movie is uh, you mentioned it came out in March of 1990, right? Which is the beginning of baseball season. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And that year, the Reds, coached by Lou Pinella, you had Barry Larkin, you had a real good team, you had the Nasty Boys. They went wire to wire yep. to win the World Series. And they went against the A's in the World Series, which are the defending champs. And mm-hmm. everybody thought that the, they would blow out the Reds. Reds took care of them too. And I just remember that whole summer which was between my junior and senior year of high school in Ohio, it was the hunt for Red October. Yes, yes. I th- They used that as their theme. It was a big deal for them. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that, that, silly as, as it sounds, I remember more about that when I think of Hunt for Red October than I think about the movie. It makes perfect sense. I very vividly remember the Reds using that um, slogan or that, that catchphrase. And this movie, I remember seeing it, but I can't remember when I saw it. And I have this, you know, the fallibility of memory is a podcast for another day. But I, I can't remember I saw it with the with the friend or with the girl. Um, and I can't even remember what time of year I saw it. But I don't remember seeing it in March. I looked at when the release date was, and I was like, I don't remember seeing that that time of year. But I grew up in a small town, and we sometimes didn't get movies until two or three months after they were out. So it probably was summertime when I saw it. Yeah, and I don't think this is a movie that I necessarily would have seen in the theater. Yeah, I definitely can, saw it in the theater. Because this would have this would have probably been a movie once again saying like I'm late in high school. This would have mo- been a movie where my parents are being are, are like, "Hey, we're going to go see Sean Connery in the Hunt for Red October. You want to go to the movies with us on Saturday night?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I would have been like, "No, we're going to party to go to. Um, have fun. I got way I'll see you when I get home. I'll talk to you tomorrow in the morning." Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know when I saw it. Um, but, you know, the one thing that does resonate with me, there's two things that resonate with me. One, you know, Sean Connery. Yes. And I'm sure, we're, you know, of course, we're going to talk more about that. But it's just his character is just so strong. Very. Very strong. And then I do remember, like, Alec Baldwin, even though this was one of his first movies or big movies, because he'd been on, like, what, The Doctors or something. He'd been on TV a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of was like, oh, you know. Um, so... I do. I remember those two elements. Of course, you remember all the submarine stuff. What surprised me when I watched it again is I forgot the plot. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, all just, right. you know, because if you would have asked me before I watched this again, 
I would have said, oh, like, I don't know, the, the Soviets and the United States are like uh, underwater subway, uh, you know, submarine games. Right, right. You know, you know I, I forgot the key elements of the plot. Yeah. Well, this movie stuck with me. I remembered this movie. I remember the plot. And um, I had seen this a few years ago with uh, my oldest daughter. And we watched it, and, and she loved it. It was one of her favorite movies. And when I told her we were doing this one, she was like, oh, I'll actually listen to that podcast. Um, oh, new, new, we got a new listener. New listener, that's yeah. right. Do we send her a koozie, Jim? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so I, I viv- very vividly remember this movie, and um, there weren't many things in it that I had forgotten about. Yeah. No, and, 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 and in retrospect, too, it, it's really a super cast. It's unbelievable, and by the way, it's full on testosterone, right? Like, if you want a movie, with I, a I bunch don't think of dudes, is it. What is there like one woman? Like the the well, there's two. The uh, uh, Jack Ryan's wife and his daughter is that pretty much the only women in this whole movie? There are three women credited in this movie: his wife, his daughter, and the flight attendant, and that's <laughs> it. So, like, if you want dudes in movies, this is it. Like, if you're a lady and you like watching dudes on the screen, perfect. If you're a guy and you want a man's man's movie with manly men doing manly things. This is it. Well, this is really one of those two that kind of started that like niche or trend or whatever you want to call it label of like dad movies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. This a total dad movie. Yes. And I mean, and if you think about it, pretty much isn't anything Tom Clancy does a man movie, a man dad thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but quickly, just to, to not gloss over it, like with I don't want anybody to get mad because we're celebrating a movie that had all men and there were no women. But if you think about the film, think about the roles, it was. People on a submarine, which are all men, and then, you know, a couple of government agents who are, at that point, were traditionally men. So, this was not like, we don't like women, we don't want them in the movie. Oh, no. Maybe next time we'll do Heathers, which, which is the exact Absolutely. opposite. Absolutely. And I, one of my I, favorite I movies of all time. It's one of my movie. favorite movies of all time. All right, so, I, I mentioned Tom Clancy. And, and, and most, I'm, most of you have probably heard of Tom Clancy's name because he's associated with everything. Um, great writer, very meticulous with what he does in terms of understanding, you know, sort of the spy game and the government. Well, stuff. this movie almost didn't get done. Yes, I know. Because the book was too complex. Yes. And um, really, the, the people that wanted to produce it and, and all that, they would pass around the two or three page summaries. And the Hollywood people were just like, I don't get it because it was just too much detail. And, and one of them finally convinced somebody in Hollywood to just read the book. Right. And, and that's how this movie got made. And, and what I didn't realize looking into this was Hunt for Red October was actually Tom Clancy's first novel. Oh, it wrote. was. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, it was his first book. He wrote it in 1984. I, I knew that. He sold it for like 5000 mm-hmm. to get it into print. And it just kind of, and it was, and it was a, it was a, I don't know if you'd call it a novelette necessarily, mm-hmm. but it was a much shorter book compared to what you think of a Tom Clancy book, which is like, you know, four inches thick. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you know, back to your your point about this movie almost not getting made. Sean Connery initially turned down the role when he got the script sent to him because whoever sent him the script didn't send him the foreword, and so he was assuming that it was a set in current times in in that eight, 1989 when they would have been filming it, which of course was Fall of the Berlin Wall was 89 right, well, and it was well, all falling apart. Well, here, I, I, listen to this, Jim. Listen to this, okay? And let me just, like, paint a timeline for you. Okay. All right? So... The book, Tom Clancy wrote the book, Hunt for Red October, published in 1984. Reagan's Tear Down the Wall speech was in June of 1987. Mm-hmm. The Soviet Parliament removed Communist Party, so essentially ending the Cold War in right. March of 1990. Mm-hmm. This movie also came Dropped out in, in March of 1990, right after that. 
Then the official um, USSR dissolvement was in December of 91. Right. So, I mean, all of this, you know, and you kind of, when you think of like, this was kind of the end. And, mm. and there were actually a lot of people worried about this movie because the Soviets were falling apart and would it still be relevant? Right, right. Well, and that was Sean Connery's point. And, yeah. And then um, somehow he got a hold of the foreword saying that it was a, a, a movie set in 1984. And then he was like, okay, this makes sense and I'm in. Well, and I'm just going to add one other thing to this, and I'm going to take us on a little bit of a sidebar here. Okay. So, because, you know, growing up, and the Russians were always the bad guys. Yes. Right? And then, of course, USSR falls apart, and then the terrorists become the bad guys. Right. It was only, like, a year and a half between the end of the USSR and the first World Trade Center bombing, the one down in the garage underneath. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, it was, it's kind of weird how we shifted... From one bad guy to another yeah. bad guy, and granted, we've still kept Russian bad guys around, and right. you'll find a lot of articles about that if you if you read about it. But it's just kind of interesting how this movie, in my opinion, is very important in the sense that it really was the last one that was kind of written, produced, and ready to be released while everybody while that while the Cold War there, was still there going were still on. Cold War tensions. Well, yeah. there were still Cold War tensions. Everything after that was kind of a new. You know, new ballgame. Yeah, and this movie serves as a perfect example of something that I have said for a long, long time, and it is that movies were better, and I, I don't want me to be the old dude, but in terms of general enjoyment for me, movies were better when the American enemy was the Russians or was the Germans. Like, it's much more interesting. It's much more elegant, more sophisticated. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the scenery in this is obviously at sea, but we get some... A little bit of you know, talking about the Russian Bay, and we got all these Russians, and it's it's just more engaging to me as a an adversary than you know a desert with uh, guys blowing up uh, roadside bombs. Well, and and you and you see this very early on in the movie because basically the way the movie starts is um, the Soviets are launching a new sub with this thing called a Caterpillar drive, which essentially is some new technology. That escapes sonar. Right. It allows the, the sub to move silently underwater. Right. And Marco, he's the captain. That's who Sean Connery plays. And then Sam Neill, who we all know Sam mm-hmm. Neill, from Jurassic Park mostly. Right. This, um, this, this role landed him Jurassic Park. He got Jurassic Park because of this performance, basically. I mean, as, as Sam Neill, I mean, I, I know he's been around, but he's he... No, he's not elite or anything. Like yeah. He's, like, if you say Sam Neill, I don't know him from anything really other than Jurassic Park and uh, this role. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. So the, the original plan, once the sub launches on, it, on its uh, you know main voyage, is that they're just going to do some normal exercises, uh, you know, up, up up near you know the seas of Russia, uh, you know, north of uh, Europe, that, that type of stuff. Baltic Sea, North Atlantic. Right, and there's a um, a political advisor on board. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's played by Peter Firth? Peter Firth. He is. Um, he Peter Firth has an Oscar. Did you know that? I did not know that. Peter Firth uh, has an Oscar. Oh, it was back in like seventy seven, late seventies, nineteen seventy seven yeah. for the film Equus. Equus. I have no idea what that uh, horses maybe. I guess I. I don't know anything about that movie, but uh, he is um, one of three actors in this movie with an Oscar. Yeah, that, which is pretty impressive. But so he's like the political advisor. And it's funny because, like, uh, you know, Sean Connery is like, it's my ship. Right. I'm the captain. And the political advisor's like, hey, you know, and 
you know, we're here, I'm representing the government, and they're talking about, hey, is there KGB on board? And they're like, you know, so it's, it's typical Russian, you know. There's like, I'm watching you, you're watching me, he's watching, you know. Everybody, right, you know, right. And it, you don't know who everybody is that's watching everybody. Right. And at some point, uh, Connery, or uh, Captain Ramius says something about his ship, and the political officer says, this is not your ship, this ship belongs to the people of the Soviet Union. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but um, so the, the original plan was to conduct um, the, the, the exercises. Well, as they're having this conversation, uh, Marco, Sean Connery's character, kills the guy. Right. Just out of the blue. Just completely snaps his neck, fakes a scene. And then the doctor comes in, which is played by Tim Curry. Tim and Curry. I totally forgot he was in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Totally it's, a great ca- it's amazing cast. Totally forgot. So, so basically, at this point, the... Sean Connery, Marco character, burns the original plan and comes up with this new plan and basically announces to his crew, we're really going to conduct these exercises off the coast of America. Mm -hmm. And he gives this big, long patriotic speech. Right. And all the Russian crew start singing. And that's what I was talking about earlier when you were talking about the Russian. They were so patriotic. It's like I wanted to sing along with them. Well, I've got I've, – so one of my ridiculous questions that sometimes I come up with was where does the Soviet national anthem rank in terms of best national anthems ever? Because it's real high in my opinion. It's oh, a it's, good they're, one. they're excited. It's, well, it's a great – Most a, of those hard European languages are pretty excited. Yeah, right. I mean but I remember being a kid and watching the Soviets win – medals at the Olympics and hearing that Russian national anthem, Soviet national anthem, and thinking, I'm not sure that I don't like this one better than ours. Like, I'm still an American. Don't get me wrong, folks. (laughs) I love America, but... Uh, CIA, can you put a mark on Jim Nolan? (laughs) (laughs) Top three national anthems of all time. (laughs) Star Spangled Banner, Soviet national anthem, O Canada. That's it. That's it. Uh, I think O Canada's overrated, but uh, uh, I'll leave it there. Okay. (laughs) All right. But the other interesting thing that happened in this scene uh, that we just passed up is in the the whole first part of this movie, everything that we just talked about, on the Russian submarine, they were speaking in Russian. Yes. Well, the scene when Peter Firth is in Marco's cabin, Mm -hmm. you you notice this. They zoom in. Peter Firth's talking, and they're still all talking in Russian, and they zoom in on Peter Firth's mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it switches to English. Right. You catch that part. Yes, yes. Do you know what how that was produced from a directorial standpoint? I do not. This is one of the most brilliant things I think I've ever heard. Because it was very smoothly done. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, it's a great scene. All right. If you watch the scene, it switches from Russian to English on the word Armageddon. Armageddon, which is the same in both languages. Which is the same in both languages. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, you know, so there, you, you, and you get a lot of that through this movie. Matter of fact, they actually brought in a different writer to write a lot of those Russian parts. Mm-hmm. He, and it was the writer that he wrote Apocalypse Now. Um, he wrote uh, Red Dawn. You know, and, and it, he completely changed the tone of the movie, at least from Sean Connery's standpoint. Yeah, I think that's right. That's a great scene, and I think overall this movie is is really well done for what it is. And and let's talk about the director for a minute. Directed by John McTiernan. Um, this was his only PG movie, but he's he's made some some good entertaining action stuff. Predator, Die Hard, Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, Medicine Man. It's really interesting, you know. He he, did, he, he graduated from Juilliard. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And he did so. He did Die Hard, um, and he did Die Hard with a Vengeance, but he couldn't do Die Hard too because he was working on this movie. And interestingly enough, after the success of this movie. He couldn't do Patriot Games, the next Tom Clancy movie, because he had already committed to be working on Medicine Man. 
So he he had, he had a really strong career going on. Yes. Um. But then it kind of ended and like just kind of weirdly. Yes. Like just it went just, away. Well, well, you, you know what happened, don't you? Uh, basically, he so he he put together um this movie Rollerball, which the guy Larry, oh, yeah. Larry yeah, yeah, Ferguson yeah. who wrote the screenplay for Hunt for Red October and he wrote Highlander screenplay with Sean Connery, uh, Beverly Hills Cop two. He also wrote Presidio mm-hmm. in yeah, October. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. three of his biggest movies had Sean Connery, which is just interesting. But anyway, Larry Ferguson was also involved in the Rollerball debacle. Okay. And here's what happened in Rollerball is John McTiernan. And, and there's got to be so much more to this story that I completely do not understand. But basically what happened was he ended up going to federal prison for a year because he lied to an FBI investigator about some wiretap having to do with the movie rollerball. Wow. And pretty much once he went to federal prison, went bankrupt. I I think he's still alive, but I don't know. He's like, I don't know. He's flipping burgers somewhere. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, just a very interesting story about this guy. And the fact that the screenplay writer was also involved in rollerball. It's just, there's a lot of, there's a business. This spider web's dusty. Yeah. Well, and, that, I, I thought the FBI was petty coming after college basketball, but getting involved in rollerball, man, that's next <laughs> that's, level. That is. Somebody's looking for a promotion. Right. He's exactly. like, hey, boss, look at this case I just closed. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, interesting, interesting things going on behind this movie. Yeah, but anyway, he before the rollerball debacle, he did amass a really nice filmography of yeah, dad films. Did. Like, these yeah. are really, these are movies that you can put in and really be entertained by. Yeah, now it, it 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 it's just interesting how like all this kind of happens behind the scenes with everything. Now, cinematography and music, I mean, and it actually like got nominated for a couple awards, Oscars in this area. It 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 won the film won one Oscar. It won the Oscar for sound effects editing. I, I I'll be honest with you, Jim. I wasn't impressed with either. Well, I so I thought the music was very. It was typical thriller, drama, orchestra, boom, 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 you know, hit the big drums. I thought the soundtrack was fine. I thought it was very, um, it had that Eastern European, Russian, Soviet feel to a lot of it, and I, 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 I thought it was good, and uh, I, I had no problem with that. And I thought the sound effects, like sound effects editing, I suspect that probably in the theater at this time, it probably sounded better than it did sitting in my living room watching it, um, you know all these years later and watching it on streaming and that kind of thing. And there were some interesting tidbits about the way that they created the ping sound and some of those other things. So there probably were some technical pieces of that that we don't understand that that they got some points for. Well, and the ping sounds actually play a very important part in this movie because once they, once Marco goes rogue, right there, there's a ship called the USS Dallas Mm -hmm. um, that's nearby and they start picking up the single single, sorry, signal. Um, now, now the USS Dallas is captained by uh, a guy named Bart. The yep. character's Bart, but he's played by he's Scott played Glenn. Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn. And I mean, we, I, I, I don't think we've had Scott Glenn yet, but Scott Glenn's one of those people that, hey, if you walked up to somebody, even somebody our age, and was like, hey, what do you think about Scott Glenn's acting? They'd be like, who's that? But then you tell them what Scott Glenn's been in, and immediately they know who he They're is. Like, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's uh, what's your favorite Scott Glenn role? I, I still love him in Silence of the Lambs. I think he's great in that. Oh, yeah. He's he's really good in Silence of the Lambs. Well, what was the other one that he was in? Um, I'm not remembering. Um, 
Oh, well, he was in Apocalypse Now. Oh, The Right Stuff was the one I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah The yeah. Right Stuff. He was in Silverado. Remember him in Silverado? Yes, I had forgotten that, but you're right, yes. You know, um, Backdraft, Courage Under Fire, Training Day. He recently, he's been in the Bourne movies. He was, mm-hmm. even, he was even in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. You know, so he's... Long he's, career long as career, an actor that you in a don't lot of know movies. that you know, but you know it. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, but he's the, the commander of the USS Dallas, and so you're talking about the ping. And so they're, they're hearing the ping. They got him on sonar. And then all of a sudden the ping goes away. Mm-hmm. And that's when the, they kicked in the, the, when the Red October submarine kicked in their Caterpillar drivers. Right, right. And they went silent. Mm-hmm. They went silent. Um, and so now all of a sudden the U.S. knows that the Russians have a sub out there and don't know what to do next. Right, and there's this whole, what do you mean it disappeared? You, just, you know, how did the sub just disappear? Well, it's not there anymore. Yeah. And so then it kind of switches scenes, mm-hmm. and now we're introduced to Alec Baldwin's character. Yes. Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. Jack Ryan's still relative today. Of course, yeah. He, um, the Jack Ryan series on Netflix with John Krasinski is the new Jack Ryan. Um, I, I thought season one of that was awesome. I thought season two of it was just okay. Yeah, just I didn't FYI. watch any of it. I didn't watch any of it. So there's there's been five actors that have played Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. Of course, Alec Baldwin in this one. Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford played him in two different movies. Ben Affleck played him. Yep. Chris Pine and, and then Krasinski. I, I I don't know if I have been as um, engaged in the Jack Ryan series to answer this question. Maybe you have. Is there a best Jack Ryan? Well, I don't know. So, see, I, I did not see the um, Chris Pine um, and I didn't see the Ben Affleck Jack Ryan. So, I didn't see either of those two. So, I have to say, take myself out of that. But for my dollar, I really prefer um, this one. I, I, I do prefer um, the Alec Baldwin character. Like, I think Harrison Ford's great, but there's something about Alec Baldwin in this role. He seems... He's very inf- vulnerable. He seems vulnerable. He, you don't ever question that he's an intellectual. And I think that sometimes in some of the other ones, there's... You know, you've got Harrison Ford. You know it's going to be an action movie, and... There's a little bit more of a badass streak to it. And this right. one, this really does seem like a nerdish kind of a guy who steps up when... when well, have you, have you read any of the books? No. Right. So I don't, I don't, and this is where I kind of struggled, is I don't, because I kind of felt watching this one, you know, I thought Jack Ryan was kind of a wimp in this movie. Yeah. You know, he's afraid to fly. He's very kind of timid, very kind of, but he, he'll step up when he needed to. And, and Alec Baldwin did a good job with that character. I, I think he did it. Um, but you're right with the Harrison Ford. It's essentially air force one. Right. Right. When he plays Jack Ryan, I don't know. How, all I know about the Krasinski one is all I remember as they were in pre-production and mm. marketing it is how Buffy had gotten. Yeah. And he, he sells it a little bit more as the intellectual side, but there's still this sort of like, I'm an international, you know, wise guy and I know what I'm doing. And, uh, just there's something about this Jack Ryan character. Like you said, the vulnerability was great. Yeah. Um, and do you know the story about him getting this role? So they actually wanted Harrison Ford for yeah. this role initially. And, yeah. and uh, F- Harrison Ford turned it down, and so they got Alec Baldwin. And uh, so they, they make this movie. It does great. Um, you know, it was made for $30 million, came back with $200 million. They're going to do a sequel or more um, Jack Ryan movies. And so they go to Alec Baldwin and said, you know, do you want to do um, Patriot Games? And he said, yes, this is my number. And they said, well, for that number, we can get Harrison Ford. 
So they called Harrison Ford, offered him that number, and he's like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, Alec Baldwin kind of shot himself in the foot a little bit yeah, there. Yeah, he, he overplayed his hand a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he did. I mean, he turned out, you know, he, I, I think he's doing okay. Yeah. But uh, at, lesson learned on his end. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So this is at when Jack Ryan comes into the plot. Yeah. Right? So he actually comes into the story. And, I mean, basically, when we first meet him, he's at home. He's kissing his daughter goodbye, kissing his wife goodbye. And he's just off on a, you know, hey, I gotta, daddy's got to travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll bring you back something. Right. Something like that. And next thing you know, and he shows up, and we have James Earl Jones. We have Darth Vader. <laughs> you know, who's Greer. His name's Greer. And he's kind of like, I, I don't know if he's a mentor or a boss, but, you know, obviously him and Jack Ryan have a very close relationship. Right. And, uh, by the way, James Earl Jones, the second actor to win an Oscar in this film. He won 1970 for Great White Hope. Yes, that's right. Um, but, so, this and, start- and if we had knights for actors in America, he'd probably be, um, you know, Sir James Earl Jones. You think so? Maybe. You think so? Really? I, I mean, I don't know because I, I, I mean, I know he's been in a lot of stuff, but it is maybe not. Maybe not. When, I mean, I don't know. He's kind of, you know, and I, I know we'll finally, we'll get around to talking about Sean Connery at some point. Right. But I had the same feeling about James Earl Jones that I have about Sean Connery, which is they were in the business so much earlier than what I remember. Right. Being our age. And. And I don't, I don't, you know, he, Great White Hope was before my era. Correct. And they, they both, because we're, like you said, we'll get into this with Sean Connery, but they both did a lot of stage stuff, which I think is where, like, if you want to think about Sean Connery being knighted, like, I think that st- his stage roles play as big a role in that as do his film uh, canon. Right, because in my lifetime, here's what I think about James Earl Jones. Okay. And and I and I know I am not respecting him the way he deserves to be respected. Right. But here's my synopsis. Star Wars. And he was essentially a voice of Darth mm-hmm. Vader. And it was great. Loved it. I remember him in Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Coming to America, of course. Of course, Field of Dreams. This series. And Lion King. Mm-hmm. This is CNN. Do you knight somebody for that? I don't know. We're Americans. We might. Yeah, well, we would knight everybody. What That's would we right. call them? <laughs> I don't know. It'd have to be one up from a knight. Like, I don't know how we one up that, but we'd have to figure out a way to yeah, one up I, that. I, we need a new. Oh, we need a word. I, yeah. I don't know what it would be. Okay. Um, anyway, back to the plot. Back to the plot. All right. So anyway, Jack Ryan is meeting with Greer. We have a situation. The Russians are involved. What are we going to do? They get the update, and then they have to do, they have to update some type of security council at the White House. Mm-hmm. And probably the most important person um, at this meeting is the National Security Advisor. Mm-hmm. Right. Who, I, if I recall, is played by, um, oh, what's his name? Um, isn't it Richard Jordan? Yes, that's correct. Richard Jordan. Now, do you, do you know who Richard Jordan is? No. Richard Jordan is in what? One of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time, okay. which we have discussed doing on this podcast before. Yeah, the I know what you're going to say. He's one of the the two guys in Logan's Run. Well, Logan's Run, that's the yes. one you love. Yes, yes, he's one of the two guys in Logan's Run. So it's good to see him again. It's good to see him again. <laughs> um, he's a lot older in this movie. Welcome back, buddy. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to the clock. But basically, they they're giving their you know they're telling everybody catching up, and of course, what do you think all the Americans think? The Russians are, either, we got this rogue officer that's going to come and attack us. Right, of course. And shoot nuclear subs. But then Baldwin, Jack Ryan, 
Like all of a sudden pops up. The light bulb goes off in his head and he starts laughing and and because and this is at a point where the, there's this cacophony of sound where everybody's discussing and they're kind of going back and forth and he just laughs and says something like you crazy son of a bitch and then they're like uh, Mr. Ryan do you have something you'd like to share with the group they kind of they kind of patronize him a little bit yeah and so then he talks about how he believes that Marco Ramius is defecting and he gives his um, defense of that at this point well and this is where it was kind of interesting to me because once again I'm not a Jack Ryan expert at all but I kind of learned a lot about Jack Ryan that he wasn't like some like tough guy he was an academic he was a advisor or an analyst for the CIA mm-hmm. um, he had been in the Navy um, he was a writer and he knew a lot about like naval maneuver he wrote a book, book about Admiral books. Halsey yeah it's like you know so he, he knows what he's talking about and he's like I've met Marco yeah have you? Well, that, yeah, and that's aggressive. Because <laughs> then he says, "Why do you think?" That? And then he goes into this thing, and he carries on, and he's like, "I've studied him. I know him. I've met him. Have you ever met him?" And, and that's when uh, James Earl Jones just like pats him on the knee, is yeah. like, uh, "Back, Simba." <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was a really good scene. I actually really liked that scene. And then like they they split up, and then um, the Richard Jordan character comes up to him, and he's like, uh, you, "Do what? You get, tell me why you think that." And mm-hmm. he tells him, and he goes, "Well." We can intercept him in four days. Mm-hmm. You have three days to prove yourself right. Right. And somehow, like, every resource available to a CIA agent is given to him. But it was good because um, he was like, uh, oh, what did he say? Oh, uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, Jack Ryan says, why are you letting me do this? And he goes, well, you know, I want to see if you're right. And he goes, no, it's because you think I'm expendable. Yeah, it's great. great. <laughs> it was great. great. It was, it was, uh, and he says, basically. Yeah, and he agrees with him. Yeah. So essentially, and, and which is good, because, you know, once again, going back to that, this was Tom Clancy's first book. Mm-hmm. First book about Jack Ryan establishing this new character. And basically, if you, like, I mean, think about it, really draw back from everything we know about Jack Ryan right now. And to this is our first introduction of him, like, putting his foot forward, taking a risk, mm-hmm. and he knows he's expendable. And then he still decides to do it. Right. That's what makes this a great story. Yeah. Honestly, is is because he has no bona fides. He he hasn't proven anything. Right. Yet. And he eventually becomes president. Not in this movie, but further on down in the in the series. Yeah. 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 So this is just like I don't know. This is just like JFK you know, U-boat moment or something. I don't know. PT one oh nine. But uh. Why did I just say that like a DJ? Hey, you're listening to the tunes on PT one oh nine. That's not what this DJ can do for you. Yeah. <laughs> what can you do for this DJ? <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway. Um, so now all of a sudden, it's like they, they, they send Jack Ryan like around the world. They find him like a, a jet. Uh, you know, they, they get him like on a... a, a like, they take him out to an aircraft carrier. Aircraft carrier. Right. Uh, where, where he gets to where, see a plane crash. Right. Which can't land, which yeah. makes no sense. No, I don't even it was know some stock was... footage they threw in there. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just all, it was just to add tension and to somehow make what was going on on that aircraft carrier um, seem so much more dramatic. Like, you're just an aircraft carrier out here hanging out in the ocean, and so we got to make this seem like it's a big hardship for everybody. Yeah. Right? And the commander of the aircraft character is the great Fred Thompson, who's one of the great character actors Ever, of all time. ever, yeah. and uh, so, and he plays that role perfectly. Um, now, what's his credit in this one? Had his middle name, Fred Dalton Thompson. He, yeah. He's credited by that sometimes. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. It, you know, he was what a, a uh, senator from Tennessee. Senator f- yep. from Tennessee. Yeah. 
Cons- uh, briefly, you had a had a short run for president, right? Didn't he throw? Yeah, his I think he threw his name in the hat. I mean, yeah. that was like Fred Thompson. I mean, yeah. and, and like you said, he's one of the great character actors of you know of our generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's worked with McTiernan before. He well, actually, not McTiernan, but he he was in Die Hard too, which was not a McTiernan film. But anyway, we we've seen him in all of these you know uh, types of roles. Great character actor, and he plays this one really well. You know, he's at times tough and at times sympathetic, and um, you know. Kind of just a perfect role for him. Yeah. Um, so let's let's kind of take a step back a little bit. Let's talk, you know, Alec Baldwin. Yep. Thoughts? So he's had a really interesting career when you think about what he's done. You think about a film like this and you think about, you know, he was in Beetlejuice and he was Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And, you know, he's uh, he was in Working Girl. Um, Wait, and most of those were all in the same year. Which is fairly amazing. They he, were all in that like eighty nine to ninety. No, he did. He he did. She's having a baby. Beetlejuice, Married to the Mob, Working Girl, and Talk Radio. All, all in nineteen eighty eight. Wow. All in the same year. Wow. Um, that's pretty impressive. That is that is impressive. And then as he's gotten older, you know, and he did some other stuff. Like I think the Marrying Man was kind of a fun movie with Kim Basinger. Kind of a, you know, a fun romantic thing. Um. He did The Edge, which was a good one. And, um, you know, and then then he gets into these more bit part roles. Like, he was in Pearl Harbor, and he shows up on Friends, and he's in The Departed. And then, you know, and... That's because his other brothers were becoming more famous at the time. I guess so. I mean, yes. if you if you graft, which there should be a Baldwin graft. The Baldwin graft, It yeah. shows the four brothers and, like, their height of popularity. And, of course, you know, Alec would be at the, mo- at the highest... 90%, not right. even higher. But there probably was some point where one of them kind of jumped up a little. They're chipping away. Like, like maybe yeah. he dropped to 89. and one of, you know, so Yeah, that, like so one of them had like a big movie. The market share situation was moving. Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, I think somebody should put a graph together on, on that. I think it would be interesting. That'd and be there's a lot of different metrics as you could use. Of course. Viewers, dollars. Q rating, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Right. Um, well, so so he's, he's done a ton of different stuff. And... I think I really enjoy him on the screen. I always like him. I don't think I would like hanging out with him. Um, I, he strikes me as somebody who's really not that pleasant to be around, but really good on the screen. And honestly, one of my very, very favorite roles is Jack Donaghy in 30 Rock. That was a hilarious show. He, he played that role perfectly, bounced off Tina Fey back and forth. Mm-hmm. Just great. And he's done the Saturday Night Live stuff, which has been great, and that's kind of been kind of a... Just kind of something that's been over a long period of time. Now, have you ever seen The Cooler? No, but he was nominated for an Oscar for it. I know it, and I know the movie. Yeah, I've never seen it either, but uh, that's his only kind of real big nod. Yeah. And I, I think he's, you know... You know, obviously he's he's set solid. He's you know very recognized. His curating actually might be higher than what his real talent is. Probably that's probably true. Yes. Yeah, you know, but I mean, good for him. He's had a good career. I thought he was good in this movie. What, do you have a favorite movie of his? This one is real high. Um, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is just great. That, that's that's a high one. And yeah. I mean, he's not in The Departed much, but we've talked about how much we love The Departed. Right. And his role in The Departed is he's fantastic in that role. Right. Well, everybody is in that movie. Yeah. I, mean, I, I could be standing in the corner like tying my shoes, and I would have been fantastic yeah. in that. Movie. I mean, if you if you told if you said what's your favorite like overarching because like he's good in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, but it's really all about the scene, right? right. The scene in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. This movie is real high up, and then his work in Thirty Rock is real high. Up. Yeah, Those are my two favorites. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think this. Uh, I would totally agree. And I, I like him on Saturday Night Live too. You know, I, um, I, I just think he's, 
he was one of those people that, you know, he became one of those, like, all-time host yes. type people. Yeah. Um, and he just, you know, he, he was always just kind of funny and, you know, kind of guy next door. Right. 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 So, so anyway, uh, you know, he's Jack Ryan. We got this, like, whole sub-situation going on. He's, you know, moving from the aircraft carrier. And then he they get him on a helicopter. And then they're going to drop him and try to actually drop him into the USS Dallas. Right. So, and so, so which part which of is, is still tracking the Red October. Well, USS Dallas has been so, – oh, because going back to the pings is the sound engineer. I don't know. Whether, yeah, that's probably what he's called on a sub. Right. But the one guy had figured out this other noise that the sub was making. Right. Was, and was acoustically be able to track it. And the, right. so they were able to like – you know. And that character, that character Jonesy Jones – was played by Courtney B. Vance, and uh, he's been in a ton of things. Yeah. Uh, very famous. My personal favorite Courtney B. Vance role, though, is as Johnny Cochran in The People vs. O.J. Simpson. It, it doesn't get better than that, does it? That was that was good TV. That was brilliant TV. <laughs> that was good TV. But anyway, so but they're tracking this sub, and they're closing in on it. They're figuring it out, and then all of a sudden, they've got to back off the sub, and because this is the missing sub, and they found it, and so oh wait, we got to go pick up this. Guy from the CIA. Yeah. Now, now here's something that's kind of cool um, for me and you, for nobody that's listening to us, is the scene where they actually drop Jack Ryan from the helicopter into yeah. the submarine. Do you know? And of course, in the movie, it's the USS Dallas. But do you know, in filming, what that sub really was? The USS Houston, wasn't it? What was it? The USS Louisville. Oh, was it? Uh, that's what I read. I don't know how accurate that is. We might have to. Can, well, we, can we get our team on it? Yes, we'll we'll get the research team on that. Well, maybe I'm thinking of the USS Houston, which which they did some training on. But there was there's some correlation between the USS Houston and the USS Dallas uh, in this film. But we'll call it the USS Louisville just for fun. Just for fun. Uh, and so, and because facts are optional on the show, <laughs> facts are optional on the show. If you want to challenge us, you know we're here. But this is a pretty cool scene. I mean, it's a great scene. It's it's and you know and they drop him. He 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 decides to like cut off. And he's like drop me in the water. Well, there's only so much fuel in the helicopter, and the, and the chopper pilot is like, we got to go back, and he's like, you have reserve fuel, right? And he's like, yeah, but we can only use that in emergencies, and he says, this is an emergency, and he says, you got just a couple more minutes, and you know they, they don't see the sub finally surfaces, and they're getting ready to turn back, and so he he just I'm going in, he just cuts loose and jumps in the water in this frigid North Atlantic water, and uh, he gets rescued by the sub, of course. Right, and, and so simultaneously, not simultaneously because it's a movie, it's linear, but going on at the same time when they switch scenes back and forth between Jack Ryan and the USS Dallas and everything that's happening on the American side, they've been switching back and forth to what's been happening on the Russian side too on really two different lenses. One lens being Marco and Sean Connery aboard the Red October, and by now he's told his officers, I'm defecting. Do, are you all aboard? Well, he he had this plot with a lot of his officers. Like the yeah. officers were in on this, and the crew wasn't. But they, you know, they they knew what they were doing. But they just had to figure out the logistics of, of getting it all done. Right. And then the other lens is that the Russians know what's going on now too. Right. And so the Russians are chasing them down because mm-hmm. they don't want to lose their submarine to the United States. And to the degree that the Russian uh, foreign minister, whatever guy. Yeah, the Russian attaché at the embassy has goes pretty and, much and, told the United States, "Go shoot him down." Right, we've got we've got a rogue sub. We got a rogue sub. You guys shoot him down. We'll shoot him down. Somebody's got to shoot him down. Right. We don't know what he's going to do. He could bomb you guys. He could bomb us. Mm-hmm. We, we got to take him down. And so, so really, at this point, you have three 
three parties in play. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you have four because you have two sides on the Russians. You have Marco with the sub, right? Who's wanting to and, and they're wanting to defect. You have the Russians that are wanting to kill him mm-hmm. and take the, his sub out, so the Americans don't get it. Then you have the Americans that just want to kill Russians because they're the Russians, right? And they feel threatened because they're even remotely close. And then you have Jack Ryan that's like, "Hey, let's come to a peaceful resolution." They're just wanting to defect, right? 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 Yeah. And and so they and so when Jack Ryan gets into the USS Dallas and meets with Bart, the mm-hmm. captain there, he tries to convince him that, "Hey, it's a defection, and they have to go through all this, you know, uh, you know." Things to try to prove that. Right, right. And then and in, in this whole thing, we get one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. We get the crazy Ivan sequence. And uh, that's yeah. a sequence where th- th- they're following him and they're having this conversation. And, and one of the officers says, he's doing a crazy – they talk about the crazy Ivan. And he says, uh, "What was it, which way did he go last? And he tells him which direction. And he says, he'll go the – what time is it? And he always goes this way in the bottom of the hour, this way in the top of the hour. And so it turns out that he's right. And so Scott Glenn's character then gives him some credibility and like, okay, you have my attention. Um, and the crazy Ivan is a real thing. If you haven't seen the movie, it's, it's where a, a Russian sub um, makes a really hard, abrupt turn to kind of clear the baffles behind the sub to kind of throw – to see if anybody's following in that real close area. In the wake. In the okay. wake, yeah. yeah, in the baffles so that, so that they can track them. And um, so they would, they would do this, and there actually are some documented cases where – there were submarines that, that bumped into one another because of these these maneuvers and things like that. Yeah, they get really in-depth on the maneuvers, but you know what? It's not over your head. It's not over your head at all. No, and it's it's really – it's. I learned more about submarine life in this movie than I have in anything else in my life, right? And it, it's shot brilliantly, you know, some of these underwater shots with the sub. And, and you know, the, the Red October um, was never a real sub that was underwater. All of those sequences were shot – in a studio with this submarine model suspended by cables and then using smoke and other digital effects to make it look like it was underwater. Yeah, this movie was pre-CGI. Yep. And it showed. Yeah, but I love it. I love pre-CGI. Yeah, yeah, and it showed. So let's talk about Captain Marco. More specifically, the man who played him, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. We mentioned it with James Earl Jones. He had a whole career before I can really remember it. Right. I mean, the James Bond movies, I've seen them a bunch. So I, I, I know all of those. Right. And, and he was, was, was he the best James Bond ever? So I, you can make that argument. And most people think we, he is. And But I I love the old James Bond movies. However, however, and I realize this is blasphemy to some, but I think Daniel Craig is an amazing Bond and he probably is my personal favorite. Now, did we have the same conversation when we've talked about Roger Moore and Cannonball Run? We didn't bring that up. We didn't bring that up. Although, although Roger, I have a soft spot for Roger Moore because that was the first James Bond I knew. My dad took me at a very young age to see James Bond movies, and Roger Moore was my first James Bond. So even though he's not the best James Bond, I have a soft spot for Roger Moore. Well, and, and maybe it's our different viewpoints on James Bond. Is Daniel Craig's obviously the most like you know badass James Bond for sure, and right? uh, not even close. A lot of it's the way movies are made now too. Sean Connery was the smooth yes. James Bond, and Roger Moore was too. He was, he but was. but Sean Connery was a little bit even more masculine. He was kind of in between the Roger Moore suave James mm-hmm. Bond 
in the Daniel Craig, I can beat up everybody, James Bond. Sean Connery was kind of in between that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Now, you know you know his acting start actually came from, he was a, a bodybuilder. Right. He was a bodybuilder. And then somehow I got into acting. So is he like the original Arnold Schwarzenegger? Maybe so. That's probably right. Although he was a lot smaller than, than Schwarzy. He was. But he was like a hunk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah do, for sure. do, do your daughters know what a hunk means? I don't know about that. That's an excellent question. We have teenage daughters. If if we told our teenage daughters that like this guy was a hunk, they'd probably just be like, "Dad, you're being weird. Just stop it." <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't even know. <laughs> what if we said, "Hey, he was a Chad"? <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I, I don't even know how that works. But um, I'm not even sure if I use that in the in the right context. But do you know that People Magazine in 1999 named Sean Connery the sexiest man of the century? I did not know that. I wow. Yes, he was. He won sexiest man of the year like in ninety three, ninety two, something like yeah. that. But in ninety nine, sexiest man of the century. Mm-hmm. So I mean, obviously, like he has the it factor for sure. This is one of those questions we should ask my mom next time she's on the oh, show. Oh yes, <laughs> Debbie, we're coming at you on this one. <laughs> yeah, you know, and find out like what what uh, that generation thought of Sean Connery. Well, I will have to ask her, Sean Connery or Burt Reynolds, which way are you going? Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah. That's a great question. Now, he did, Sean Connery did have to wear a wig for this, or a toupee a for toupee this movie. A toupee for this one. And it was, do you know the cost of that toupee? Well, wasn't it like 30 grand It or was something? 20 grand. Mm. And th- there's a backstory on that, because the original toupee, it, he, he had it, it made with a, with a, uh, with a ponytail. Of, yeah. And uh, it infuriated McTiernan. It yeah. infuriated him. And he, he did a couple of scenes, and then they, they ended up cutting it because of some... Uh, Onset teasing, but uh, they pretty much said it looked like a you know what swinging in the wind, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so then he's like, All right, cut it. And but ultimately, and and all that has to do, and and all that funding goes into the twenty thousand dollar toupee, yeah. So, so not counting the James Bond movies, what's the first movie that you can remember, you know, Sean Connery being a part of? I I don't know. Um, I do remember him being in uh, Michael Palin's Time Bandits. Yes, Time Bandits. That's that's probably right. That's probably right. Which which actually is the answer to the Sean Connery trivia question that I brought up during the Ref podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when I, I, the, I you know the trivia question of which movie where they were they wanted somebody like Sean Connery or that looked like Sean Connery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was Time Bandits. Time Bandits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. 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 Yeah. But but that that's a great point. Like all I knew about Sean Connery was he was James Bond, and then he has this sort of revival res- revival resurgence in cinema you know he wins an academy award for the Un- untouchables which is you know the third i, I loved him in highlander i remember highlander, highlander yeah. and i really like highlander and, and that might be one and that's one if i went back and watched it now it's probably not nearly as good as i remember it being mm-hmm. but I, I i enjoyed it at the time but this is one of those things where like when did sh- like i thought about this as i was doing research and thinking about this movie when did Sean Connery go from just being just James Bond to Sir Sean Connery and this iconic, um, like, sort of guy that, that that's larger than life, right? I well, mean, it, it actually, Highlander was the turning point because what Highlander did and where Sean Connery capitalized on it was it showed him as no longer the the youthful protagonist that was the star of the movie. And right. it kind of showed him as the father figure mm-hmm. that was kind of the mentor. And that's how he was in The Untouchables. That's how he was in, you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Right. And, and a lot of the, pretty much the rest the of his career, stuff. the later stuff. And, you know, very few people have been able to, you know, transition from being 
the star to being the, you know, Clint Eastwood obviously probably has done it better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but Connery, you know, rode that roller coaster and was very successful. At it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, now, do you know that he was offered 15% of worldwide box office to play Gandalf in Lord of the Rings? Yes, I did know that. Yes. And so then you probably saw how much money he would have made if it's, he actually uh, taken that it's role. It's absurd. It's crazy. It's like four hundred million or something like that. But in the end, and you know I, why I, he turned it down? Why did he turn it down? He didn't understand the plot. Oh, that's probably right. Like all of this wizardy gibberish. <laughs> He's like, I don't understand this. But I, I think uh, I think Peter Jackson ended up getting that right um, with Ian McKellen as uh, Gandalf because he's he's brilliant in that role. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so let's talk a second half of the career, the part of his career that we know. You know, we mentioned Highlander or The Name of the Rose. Remember that one? Yes. Untouchables. Untouchables. Which is great. That's such a great movie. It's a movie. great movie, yes. Great movie. Presidio was good. good. Indiana Jones. I That might actually be my favorite movie I saw, this, you know, that I, with him in it. Uh-huh. And by then, he was, like, already, like, gray-haired and older. But he was just so great at complimenting Harrison Ford mm-hmm. in that movie. Anyway, that's a, a, a different story for a different time. Red October actually was after the year after Indiana right, Jones. Right. Um, then he does The Rock with mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage. Right, and my very favorite uh, Sean Connery quote is from The Rock. Um, there's a scene where um, Nicolas Cage says to him, I'll do my best, and Connery just looks at him and says, Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners, go home and fuck the prom queen. That's my favorite quote ever. <laughs> Sean Connery in a movie. <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is like, what's a prom queen? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, you know, one of the great things in this movie, too, is um, I love the scene where they're, they're in the reactor room and uh, they're, they're chasing down the, the, the one Russian guy who just wants to blow up the sub before they, they can, can defect. And uh, Connery tells Jack Ryan... You know, there's some things in here that don't react well to bullets. And then, you know, the guy shoots at Jack Ryan, and, and uh, Alec Baldwin just says, Be careful what you shoot at, Ryan. There's some things in here that don't react well to bullets. He, he totally mocks the accent, and it, it's so, well, that's he, a great scene. He, it's so funny because he's like, do, you know, and especially in the beginning when he's talking in Russian, it's like, when do you ever see somebody speaking in Russian with a Scottish accent? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and it just, and it always, and, and uh, who's the guy that plays him in the Saturday Night Live Jeopardy skits? Oh, um, uh, that that's, I, oh. I can't remember either. But it's, uh, you know, it, when, when you become a parody, you yeah. know you've made it. Yeah, that's I would right. love that's nothing right. more than somebody to make a parody out of me. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can you can make fun of me all you want if you're parodying me because it's like I made it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I, it's 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 good stuff. And I mean, in Sean Connery, and this is what I like about Sean Connery too. And then we can move back to the the, the main movie. Is he retired from acting? Yes, and he said he's not going to act again because I'm having too much damn fun in retirement. Yeah, he's like, I'm done. I made my money. I did my thing. I know I'm getting old. I only got, you know, a decade or so left. I'm going to just have fun. Enjoy it. That's I'm right. I'm going to enjoy it until I get colon cancer and die. Or whatever, <laughs> whatever happens to him. Whatever happens to the old Scottish people. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm probably more liver related. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothesis. <laughs> so, anyway. So, what's going on in the submarine? <laughs> so, anyway. So, yeah. So, then we've got the... So, well... 
one of the great scenes in this movie is, and I've got a lot of scenes I love, and maybe yeah. we should talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about your favorite scenes from this movie. So my favorite scenes in this movie, um, uh, I, I mentioned the one where, where um, Alec Baldwin mocks his accent. I love that. Um, I love the scene where they get to the sub, where, where the Americans get to the Red October, and, and they open up the hatch, and they just look at each other. And it's just like, what? And they walk down there, and it's all there's a lot of nervous tension. And then one of the, the guys is smoking, and Jack Ryan asks for a cigarette. Which, which earlier, somebody asked him for, if he wanted a cigarette. He said, no. No, he, I don't he, smoke. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you know he doesn't smoke, so he asks for a cigarette just as a piece of diplomacy. Right. And... Then he almost chokes on it, and it's, yeah. it's so. And they mock you him and make fun of him, and or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love that scene. Um, I love the scene where um, visually it's so stunning when that sub surfaces, when they chase the sub to the top of the water, and it breaches, and it just looks like a big whale. That thing is just that's a, a visual beauty. Um, let me think. What, what are you, what are some? Are there any that you you love in this movie? You know, I I at the end um, because basically what happens is. Once they make connection and the, the Red October knows that the USS Dallas understands that they're trying to defect, what they do is they they create this kind of fake scenario where like a reactor is overheated and all the submen, you know, whatever they're called, mm-hmm. you know, have to get off board. So they're all getting off board, and then there's a actually a, a U.S. Fr- frigate. Yeah, know. it's the USS Reuben James, which. In a weird, or a destroyer. There's a destroyer. destroyer. Yeah, destroyer. it was the USS Reuben James, and um, Reuben James was an American um, military person uh, fought in, in I don't know Barbary Coast War or something. But I know Reuben James from the great Kenny Rogers song Reuben James, and it's interesting because in a couple of moments in this movie, I thought uh, Marco Ramius looked a little bit like Kenny Rogers. So that's a nice little bit of he meshing. did, he yeah, did, yeah, bit. it could be like twin brother. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But we, here, th- this is what I love about this scene is that. Marco has pretty much convinced his crew there's trouble with the ship. You need to evacuate. We'll get you saved. There's another you know ship that can come save you. The American ship shows up, and they start shooting at the sub. Mm-hmm. And they're shooting. They're kind of firing. They're just like, firing warning. shots across the bow. Just right, warning right, shots. Just warning shots. Hey, you're not responding. But then they actually shoot a torpedo right at it. And then all of a sudden, James Earl Jones shows up. Mm-hmm. Like, how'd oh, you yeah. get on the ship? <laughs> right, right. It's like, how'd you get here? And he, like, hits the, like, button that blows the missile up, whatever, like, a, a little bit closer to the ship, but not, doesn't that actually hit early. the ship. Yes, that, yes. Detonates early. And he tells the guy, that the person that was running the bomb, he's like, we blew that ship up. You didn't see that bomb explode early. You know, and essentially and, at that and moment, I was never here. And I was never here. And he shows his credentials, which, when he did that, I was like, if you were never here, why'd you share your credentials? Right. <laughs> well, and the other thing about that was weird about that scene was he also had the uh, Jeffrey Jones character. Right. We haven't he, even talked about Jeffrey who, Jones. Who we had, you know, previously in uh, Amadeus, and, and we know he's had some trouble. Um, we know he's Ferris Bueller's uh, principal. principal. Yeah. And uh, he plays a guy who's who is, is he's a submarine, submarine expert, expert yeah. and he was a, a sub captain or something, and, and he injured his leg, so he can't... Um, you know, and Jack anymore. Ryan had consulted him earlier. Yeah, in the movie. yeah, yeah. And somehow he's there with James Earl Jones. Somehow they've gotten aboard, and they're they're. Uh, doing, I, I don't know. That that was kind of a weird scene. But what but what was really cool about it, Jim, is 
this is where you start to realize viewing the movie that the United States is pretty much screwing the Russians over. Yeah. Cause they're creating this like fake scenario to where they are sinking mm-hmm. the red October. Because they really don't want to sink the Red October because they want the technology. Correct. This is technology that the Americans have never seen, we don't know about, and we want this um, in our hands. And in fact, when this movie came out, um, there were there were people within the government who were kind of mad because they felt like there's this technology out there and somehow this writer's gotten a hold of it. How do we not know this exists, right? Well, in reality, the technology, the Caterpillar drive or yeah. whatever it is, the Russians never had it. No, never had it. The United States already had it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we are, The United States actually already had the technology and it was actually declassified right after the movie came out. And this is what's also interesting about this movie that you don't capture from watching it is that they had to consult the Navy a lot yes. about this movie. And there are a lot of people that didn't want this movie to be made because uh, maybe in the original book, the didn't show, shine the brightest light on the Navy and all that. But if you recall, a few years before this, there was this really popular movie called Top Gun that came out. I, I, I was going to bring this up, and you're ahead of me on this. And, and Top Gun made it cool to be a Navy pilot. Right. And so the Navy, always wanting to recruit, thought, hey, let, let us make some changes. We'll have no problem with you putting this movie out. We'll even declassify submarine information in the hope to create the same buzz around being a submarine person Mm -hmm. that Top Gun did about being a pilot. Yes, and they went so far as to set up recruiting tables in theaters where this movie was shown in the hopes that people coming out of it would be like, that's so cool, I have to do that, sign me up now. I don't think it worked as well. No, it didn't work as well. No, I, I mean it's well. it's. First of all, I mean you're flying an airplane. You're in, yeah. in Southern California. You're playing volleyball. Yeah, as opposed to being on a sub with a hundred other dudes, it's got to smell rank as hell. And like you don't it's see just... women for months. Like like, what's the selling point here? There's no selling point at all. I mean, whoever thought whoever in the Navy like kind of greenlighted this, just I yeah uh, uh, you. Know. But I, I've never. This is a total tangent. I'm but glad I've the never, movie got made. Uh, totally. <laughs> but I've never understood how the how the government decides to spend money in advertising. Like I don't understand like why there are so many Navy, Air Force, Army, Marine commercials while I'm sitting there watching a football game. Because there's so many 45, 50-year-old dudes that are watching a game. Like, I'm not going to join the Navy. And when I was 21 watching it, I'm not going to join the Navy. So are you really talking people into joining the Navy because, you know, you're showing a Navy commercial in the middle of the Florida-Florida State football game? I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they I mean, they got to recruits from somewhere. You know, I mean, it, right, right. Uh, uh, I mean, I, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um, any other big scenes you want to talk about? Um, not at the moment, but I'll come back to that because there's a bunch I love in this movie, but it's it's escaping me for a moment. So let's right. just carry on, and it'll come up. All right. So essentially, at this point, all of a sudden we have Bedlam in the Red October. Yes, because we have a rogue person that's been sabotaging it the whole time yes and, it, and it's funny because i knew the whole movie i recognized him but i couldn't put together who he was mm-hmm. and um oh what's his name it's thomas something thomas either way regardless i forget what his name was but you would remember him from gladiator 
if you remember the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, he was Russell Crowe's like right hand man. Right, right. And he's a little bit younger in this movie, but guess what? He's the KGB guy that's mm-hmm. on the sub. Mm-hmm. The spy that we talked about earlier. Right. He's the one who's not going to allow this ship to be given to the Americans. Right. Not, not going to allow his comrades to defect. Yeah. And and by now, also what's going on is you have, you have Bart on Red October with Marco mm-hmm. and his officers. And, of course, you have Jack Ryan and you have the engineer guy, the song guy. Right. And they're all... On on the the Red October, and by now the Russian submarine is like, you know, hunting them down. So there's another Russian submarine that's captained by a man named Tupolev, who was trained by Marco Ramius, and and they know one another very well, and um, they are friends. And initially, their orders are to meet and rendezvous with his sub, and now he's gotten orders that he has to go hunt down and kill his mentor. So really, the hunt for Red October is not. American, it's, it's really the Russians. It's yes, the Russians correct. that are trying to hunt down the Red October. Right, right, right. Which is not what a lot of people think about this movie. Um, and so they start shooting their missiles. We get some great scenes. We get some really good, intense action here, where th- they're firing torpedoes, and um, you know, there's a really great scene where they fire one, and. Um, Marco Ramius orders the sub turned around to go directly into the torpedo, and there's a little bit of tension between Ramius and, and Bart, Bart. Yeah. And, and and because Ryan's at the at the helm. Doing well, and, some that, and, and that's when the scene happens. When earlier you mentioned that Ryan had wrote the book, yeah, and uh, and Marco like calls him out on that was not a good naval maneuver, not a good well, submarine well, maneuver. Well, it's such a great scene because there's this tension, and he tells him to turn around, and so Ryan does it, and then while they're waiting to go into this sub. You know, they got like 20 seconds till impact, and, and that's when Ramius says, I read your book. Your conclusions were all wrong. And then and all of a sudden, a lot of these dudes think they're about to die, but Ramius knows what's about to happen. They crash into the torpedo before it can arm, and so right. nothing happens. Right. And so then we get the sequence where Tupolov, you know, arms everything in the in – the, uh, he says, arm them in the, in the, the, the shafts, send, shoot them out. So they shoot another torpedo out, and now it's, it's a live torpedo, it's and it's in. all on. Right, you know, they, they fire off countermeasures, they do a couple of things, and they're about to be toast until the day is saved by the second the commander from the Dallas, the from Dallas. The USS Dallas, comes in and does a diversion and gets the, the torpedo missile moving in a different direction. And next thing you know, the Russian guy that's in the Russian sub is yeah. like, you just killed us. Right. You killed us all because it turns around and the next sub. Because it it's locking in. on, in. Yeah. yeah it locks sub- in on the Russian sub and it blows up Tupolov sub. And I don't know what a sub looks like blowing up underwater. But it was kind of But cool it scene. looks so cool on the film. Yeah. I don't know if that's right, uh, but yeah. I look cool. Well, they were pretty high up. Yeah, they were yeah, yeah, at, yeah. at Periscope high, or height, whatever you call it. And really from there, it's just kind of. And from there, and from there, that's it. You know, then they, uh, they welcome, they, they take the sub and they take the red October into a river mm-hmm. that, uh, Jack the, Ryan fished on Penobscot or something like that. Something like it? that. Yeah. Um, which is a different river that was actually in the book. Mm-hmm. And then, um, somebody says some Christopher Columbus quote, which that, is false, which made, was up, completely totally made, made up. up, which was completely made up. And at this point, it's the worst, it's the worst green screen it, it is. It's, that you've ever seen. It is terrible green screen. It was, green it, screen that filming. was a terrible green screen film in the theater. I distinctly remember thinking, well, that looks fake. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, it's a nice ending and, you know, and then we get the Russian, uh, uh, attache from from the embassy speaking again 
to the American Secretary of Defense or this whatever. This is kind of funny. <laughs> and, and he's talking about this second sub they've lost and, and the security advisor says, you mean you've lost another sub? It's so good. It was so good. The ending, yeah, the ending is great because it's just like the, we just kind of mock the Russians. Yeah, right. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. We don't mock the Russians. I, let me apologize. We mock the Soviet Union. Correct. correct. Yes, the Russians are fine. We mock the Soviet Union. Um, and there's a there, there's a difference there. So I mean, the, 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 this was a, a really really interesting movie. Now, you know, oftentimes we talk about like other actors that could have been. Part of it, and, and one of the people that they considered was Kevin Costner. Yes, who said no because because he was making the Buffalo movie, Dances with Wolves, right? He was making the Buffalo movie, mm-hmm. which did pretty well. It did great. So I've got the top grossing films from 1990, and I like to do this just to to look at. You know, we've talked about this before in different podcasts about how we don't have a great diversity of films that make money now. But let's go through some of these. No, well, wait before you do. Because we just talked about the end of the movie, so let's just wrap up the the movie, and then we'll come back to this. Okay, sure. And so at the end of the movie, Alec Baldwin flies home, and oh, he yeah. actually takes a nap on the plane, uh-huh. which he can't sleep on the plane, and he brings the teddy bear home to his daughter. Right. That teddy same bear. Same teddy bear. Same teddy bear. That was that Bruce Willis used in Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. Very same bear. Yeah. All right. Yes. All right so yeah, we got on. that in there. We got that in there. All, All right, right. Move on, Jim. Move on. So 1990 movies. Number one, Ghost. Number two, Pretty Woman. Number three, Home Alone. Number four, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number five. I actually saw that in the theater. Okay. But you didn't see number five, Hunt for Red October. Uh, number six, Total Recall, Die Hard 2, Driving Miss Daisy, Dick Tracy, Back to the Future 3, Presumed Innocent, Days of Thunder, Another 48 Hours, Bird on a Wire, Born on the Fourth of July, Flatliners, Dances with Wolves, Problem Child, Arachnophobia, Three Men and a Little Lady. That's amazing. All those in 1990, those are the top 20 grossing films. And I would watch almost every one of those again. Those were good. And you mentioned Goodfellas. Because Goodfellas was in, like in like up for Best Picture that year. It, yeah, but it, it, I think that it... It must have came out was, like, it's without a different, a different yeah, 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 yeah. What about Godfather 2? Because it was also up for Best Picture that year. It had to have been in a different release period because these okay. are the top grossing films Cause, of, yeah because the, the 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 picture uh, up for best picture were dances with wolves yeah good fellas ghost godfather 2 and awakenings yeah, yeah there yeah. was just i mean a lot of good movies happening uh-huh. then yeah right at the end of my high school years and it was godfather 3 oh but, i'm sorry you're right godfather 3 but yeah godfather 2 i was like four years old yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. good yeah. Th- thank you for the correction um but anyway again as i like to talk about all the time like we don't get this diversity of films that you can just sit back and, and watch and, and, you know, you want to see a comedy, you want to see a drama, you want to see an action movie. It's all there. So Jack Ryan as a character, mm-hmm. film, books, and maybe more specifically books, but I mean, do you have a book character that, like, you think of Tom Clancy, and, you know, we we, we mentioned earlier, you know, this is a Tom Clancy thing. He's a seven ta- 17 times New York Times bestseller. Sold over a hundred million books. You know, a lot of his stuff is kind of co-written. Yeah, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's been like twelve books or thirteen books since he's been dead. But he's prolific, right? And right. Jack, oh, and Jack yeah. Ryan's yeah, 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 been yeah. one of those characters. He's been a part of like tons of video games, everything from Splinter Cell to the the Division, which I'm playing right now. You know, but the Jack Ryan character. So I have two questions. Mm-hmm. So how does Jack Ryan, number one, stack up to the JBs? And we mentioned James Bond, mm-hmm. but you also have Jack, Jack Bauer and Jason Bourne. 
because you know about the JBs, right? The super spy, like, can beat up anybody, mm-hmm. can get through any situation. Jason Bourne, James Bond, and Jack Bauer. Okay. So does Jack Ryan fit in with the JBs? Not in this movie. I think in the overarching compendium of films, maybe so. Does he catch up to them? Because, I, I mean, they all have lots of films, too. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's hard for me to move any of those characters ahead of James Bond. Yeah. I mean, Jack Bauer was a TV character. Correct. And if you didn't watch him... Right. You, you wouldn't know. And Jason Bourne was more of a movie... Yeah, you know, but it's it's just kind of interesting these kind of characters that stretch over long yeah, storylines. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which then brings me to my second question: within novels, within mm, writing, right? Do you have a favorite character? And I'll tell you mine. I and you may or may not know who this is. Um, I my favorite character in in fiction is Dirk Pitt. Okay. From Clive Plessler. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with? Oh him? yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Do you have one? I I do actually. Um, I'm a big. Dennis Lehane fan, and he wrote Mystic River, uh, Gone Baby Gone. He's written, and so the character is it the same character? Well, not in Mystic River, but in Gone Baby Gone, the character that's played by um, Casey Affleck, um, uh, and he and his girlfriend, Kenzie and Gennaro, they run through several of um, Lehane's books, and I love those two characters, I think yeah. they're fantastic. No, I, I mean, there's a part of me that doesn't like a writer that carries the same character from one book to the next because it's like it's kind of repeating the same story over and over again. But then there's another part of me that loves it because if they progress that one character, even though it's the same story over and over again, it's essentially a primetime drama right? just in a 400-page book. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and that's written well. Mm-hmm. It just It's a different medium. Um so anyway, you know, Jack Ryan definitely fits that bill. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so so what else you got on this one? Well, I want to know um, for you, from you, where does this movie stack up in the list of best Cold War movies, movies about the Cold War? Because we've seen tons of them, you know, whether it's War Games or Red Dawn or Dr. Strangelove or The Day After or Bridge of Spies. I mean, like, there's tons of them out there. Well, I mean, I mean, no, this is not a good movie anymore, and maybe I need to watch it again to verify that. But I mean, from my youth, and from because I mean, we grew up Cold War babies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we were Cold War babies. That's what. If anybody ever wants to know what Gen X really means, you know, because you have the millennials, the baby boomers, the Gen Zs, and all that. If you're Gen X, you are a Cold you're War. You're a baby. Cold War kid. That's you're right. You're a Cold War kid. You know, and not to the extent to where your parents were like, you know, digging bomb shelters and stuff. But it's like I we very much remember, you know, U.S. versus the Russians, right? And being concerned, and are are we going to really have a nuclear war? And what does all this mean? And yeah, it, it's yeah, huge. It's legit. It was legit. That's how we grew up. Yes. Um, Red Dawn was my favorite. I, it's a really good one <laughs> because Red Dawn, even though the kids in Red Dawn were probably five or six years older than me, I can associate to it. Right. Because to to the point we were just making is it could happen. At, we all thought it could happen it at could happen any, any minute. time. At any minute. Like I lived in Dayton and I, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I grew up, I grew up the two places I grew up, Louisville mm-hmm. and Dayton. I grew up 20 miles from Fort Knox mm-hmm. where all the gold's at. And I grew up, Eight miles from Wright Patterson Air Force Base, mm-hmm. where is one of, at that time was one of the biggest Air Force, you know, sure. Air Force bases. Well, and I we were up, like in the top five or six targets. Well, we were as at one point I in my childhood, I was told that 
we were, would have been number two because I grew up about 15 miles north of Fort Campbell, which was home of the 101st Airborne Division. Shout out Screaming Eagles. Um, but that at that point, that was the fort. It was it was the 82nd out of Fort Bragg and the 101st out of Fort Campbell were the two divisions that got deployed anywhere, anytime, all the time. And, and we all thought that like there could be a surface bomb that they, if the Russians could figure out, they could launch a nuclear all across the, the globe mm-hmm. and hit us without us knowing about it. Right, right. You know, we got into the whole Star Wars thing, you know, the defense system. Um, it, it, it was, I, I don't know what I'm trying to express with it, but it's like everybody talking about World War Three and all that kind of stuff. It's like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, right. eh. It's, you guys don't even know. Different. You yeah. don't even know. It's a like, eh, lot different, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it, it was certainly a time uh, where there was a lot of edginess about all of that, and, and there was legitimate concern, and a lot of brinksmanship. Um, and to your point, I think Red Dawn is an awesome movie because that's one of my favorites. It's one that I have on the list. This one is real high up just because it's so entertaining. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, to that point, the, the TV... Well, you know, you know what the best one ever was? Dr. Strangelove? Well, Dr. Strangelove is I know you like high. I, I, yeah. Rocky Four though. <laughs> okay. All right. Good point. <laughs> Rocky. Never mind. Right, right, oh, that's right. 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 That's right. Rocky Four was the, like, in, in hindsight... And thinking that as a kid, yeah, we probably thought it was a lot worse than our parents thought it was. Yes, our yes. parents were just like, eh, whatever. You know, they because they had lived through Vietnam and right. lived through the '60s, and they were like, eh, this is nothing. Nobody's doing anything to anybody. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, just yeah. like you know, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just like uh, whatever. You know, nothing kids real. These was, days. Yeah, kids these days. You know, thinking that the world's about to come to an end. So, but Rocky Four. Rocky, Rocky, right? Beat, right. You know, yeah, that's. I mean, Rocky went to Russia and beat. I and he got the crowd, the Russian crowd cheering for him. He I did. mean, like, what he else did. are you gonna do? That's, that's the best Cold War movie of all time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Never mind. I have nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, but no, I no, I do. Um. I do. T- talking about like the fear that we all had that that TV movie the day after. I don't know if you remember watching that. Mm-hmm, I do. I it was it was seared in my mind. I actually rewatched it recently and it's not that good of a movie, but the first part of it where there's all this fear and the bombs are coming, it's it's terrifying and I I do um think that was a brilliant Well, thing. I mean, and it just goes to no matter what, whether it's the Russians, whether it's terrorists, whether it's chemicals, Hollywood writers, they're always going to create a scenario of doom. Yes. Or a scenario of fear mm-hmm. because it sells. Yeah. And, and, and it taps and, into something primal within us. It does. And it's like, and I'm, I'm okay with it. And, you know, and it's like, you finally get to the point where you're just like, you know, you kind of be like, okay, you know, it's like, it's just, you know, it, it's, you know, yeah, what it is, what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and though they'll always, you have to have a bad guy somewhere. Mm-hmm. If, if not, I mean, if everything was just, I know everybody like wants a like super utopia, but let's be realistic. It'd be boring. It would be, it would be. Yeah. And, and again, the, the thing that makes these movies great in this, this sort of era and time is there was a clear cut good guy and bad guy. I mean, when you're talking about the, you know, shadow cells and terrorist units, you're not really a hundred percent sure who's good and who's bad and, you were always pretty sure the Russians were going to try to take you down, and you were always we were always pretty sure. Like if you're watching World War II era movies, you know the Germans are bad, and we just got to take care of that. Right, and and that's really I mean if you let's bring it back to the movie, that's what kind of makes the Hunt for Red October 
very unique because yeah. they're who is the bad guy? Because you think that the Russians are the bad guy, but really, Marco's wanting to defect. Right, right. He's he, wanting to leave. He he sees he wants to defect and he wants to turn this sub over, get rid of it because he sees it as a first strike weapon, and he doesn't agree with that mindset. Right, and and so in essence. It's it's really kind of a peaceful movie if you think about it. Yeah, it is. It is. It's somebody striving for peace. Um, anyway, I know we kind of rambled on a little bit about, but I mean that there's so many different movies. I, I tried to Google, you know, the best communist movies, and this one wasn't even like anywhere near. Right, that. right. It wasn't even in the search. Well, there, there's tons out there, but in terms of entertainment value, you would be hard pressed to find one better than this. No, this one's great. I mean, I, I actually, I I think this is one where I. In, I'm glad I watched it again because I don't know if I would have ever watched this one again if not for this podcast. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. So to the question that we ask all the time, when would you watch it again? I don't know if I really need to watch it again anytime soon, mm-hmm. unless it's with somebody that hasn't seen it. I would right. definitely, like, I would sit through it again. Absolutely. I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't watch it by myself again. But if if somebody said, hey, I want to, you know. And say, hey, this is what it's about. I would, I would, I would watch it again in a few weeks. I, I would, I would too. I would not seek it out again. Yeah. If I, if I was sitting at home on a Sunday afternoon with nothing going on, and I caught it on TV in the middle of it, I'd probably watch it for a while. Um, and then, you know, three or four years down the road, I could, I could randomly on a Saturday night, you know, uh, well, I can, watch I, it. I, I'll, I'll take a step for uh, uh, even more of a step for Jim. I could actually see this becoming like an Air Force One for me. Which is, it's like, kind of whenever Air Force, if I'm, if, if there's nothing to watch and I'm flipping through on a Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and Air Force One is on, even though I know I'm going to have to like watch like a crap load of commercials because it's on TNT or whatnot, it's better than anything else that's on. Yeah, I, I'll I watch agree. it. I, 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 if, I stumbled, if I stumbled across this, I would, I would watch it. So yeah, TNT, you should probably buy the movie and pump it out for a few months. <laughs> yeah. That's don't right. ever promote it. You know, don't, don't, you know, watch your margins. Uh, but uh, right. but I mean I would totally like stumble into it and like you know watch it in the, on the couch. Yeah, me too. Me too. I like this one an awful lot. Yeah, more. I I like it more than I remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to give it your final grade? I, a minus. I, that's exactly where I land. A minus. A minus is exactly right because it's not an A movie. It's not like an elite film, but it's really really good. And there's there are very very few scenes where you can say. Well, that sucked. Like that scene with James Earl Jones was kind of weird, but and and Jeffrey uh, James Earl Jones and, and Jeffrey uh, Jones on the on the show. Yeah, well, uh, now you're telling me to bring it down to a B plus because if if A is a, it's not a like a great movie. No, in that regard. But there's so many recognize. You know what it is to me? It's like watching like a good Thursday night 10 p.m. primetime drama that's three hours long. Yeah. Or it's, two and a half hours long. It's but it's good. It's, I mean, I'll still I'll stay at my A minus. I'll yeah, stay at my A minus. The storyline is taut. The acting is good in it. Everybody's good. You recognize people. You recognize people. Um, it's supremely entertaining. You got Sean Connery. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it A minus. Yeah, I'll A minus. I, I think that's right. Yeah, all right. I'll leave it A minus. Okay, so there's that. Uh, any other notes and tidbits that you have that you want to throw in here at the um, end? Um. The submarine that was used in the filming, um, I, I used to use in my bathtub when I was a child. Mm, does it still float? Uh, yeah, it does. Sweet. Yeah. All right. So, they don't make toys like they used to. No, they uh, do not. <laughs> 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 All right. So, anyway, that 
that's the run for Red October. We hope that you guys have enjoyed this. Um, we really. When will the Reds win another World Series? Oh, well, it's going to be because you know every time they get close, they always for any time the Cincinnati Reds get close to even making a pennant race, it's always going to be the hunt for Red October. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, it is. And yeah, they brought that back a few years ago when Dusty was managing, yeah, and yeah. they were good. Yeah. And, um, you know, I read something this week. Somebody predicted that they're going to make the playoffs. Some publication. Nah, we we just read, signed some guy from Japan. I yeah. don't know, who knows if he's going to get it? I don't know. They, they played no. pretty well down the stretch last year. The no, second half of the season, they were good. Season wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, so that's been Red's talk. So you guys <laughs> yeah. are welcome. Yeah. Um, shout out Ohio. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, thanks for listening. Um, we are. Uh, Always out there, you know, whether it's uh, the social media platforms, you can reach us at our website. Um, we hope you guys are enjoying this as much as we are. Um, we're going to try to come back with something else fun in a couple of weeks, but uh, we had a great holiday. We're glad to be back at it. This is a super fun project for us. Um, so thanks for listening. and we Happy will s- New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again soon. This is Is That Movie Studio.